Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome back, everybody, to Hashing It Out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty. My trusty co-host, Colin Couchet, is in the building. Say hello, everybody, Colin. Hello, everybody, Colin. Wait, oh, I'm in the building? We're in the same room? No way. Kind of, virtually. Well, We're virtually in the same room. Our hearts are in the same room. There you go. Our hearts are in the same room. That's go. where, that's all that matters. Today, <laughs> uh, we're bringing on, we're going to talk about Stellar. Stellar Lumens and everything that Stellar's doing. And we have... Uh, Akil Saraf, for the principal, I'm sorry, principal engineer. Principal software engineer. Principal software engineer. I completely just blanked out from like a few seconds ago when I asked that question. Principal software engineer from Stellar coming on to tell us everything about kind of um, how it works, what it's doing, uh, where it plans to go. So why don't you start off by uh, the standard start off of uh, how'd you get into the space and um, what makes you work on Stellar? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, this was going ba- way back into 2013. I was kind of casually following the blockchain space back then. And Bitcoin was around below $1,000 at that point. And um, it kind of like went up to 1000 Okay, kind of it's, it's doing its thing. And it kind of like was around that price range for the next few years. And then come uh, summer 2017, I was in the process of looking at new opportunities and crypto was sort of picking back up as well. And I had the good fortune of learning about Stellar at that point in time. Um, And I also kind of had a payments background. So uh, a lot of things sort of came together and uh, around uh, October, 2017 is when I joined the team at Stellar. Um, Lightyear at that point specifically, um, but kind of the same uh, community. I'm sorry, what was that? The what specifically? Uh, Lightyear. Lightyear? It, yeah, it was it was the uh, uh, commercial side of uh, Stellar, but uh, essentially Stellar, working on the Stellar ecosystem, trying to work on cross-border payments using blockchain and um, just disputed computing. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And when you say cross-border payments, is this so like I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an admission here. My knowledge of Stellar is pretty much that it's 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 a XRP fork, correct? Is that correct? Originally. Or, or originally? Originally, but but uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, most, if not all, the code right now is uh, completely different from uh, the, the Ripple code base. Let's, let's, I, I kind of want to take this opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I consider myself relatively knowledgeable about blockchain um, and all the, all the, the players in the space, but... I don't know a lot about Ripple and Stellar in terms of how they actually work. Um, and if like out one, like if you can make that co- combination, you can say those two together, if that's even a reasonable thing to do anymore and, and how it differentiates itself from the other blockchain networks. 
and what problem it's trying to solve. It's like, can we, I kind of want to take this opportunity to just use this episode to try and fill that gap. Cause I feel as though a lot of people are in that same boat. Would you say that? Um, so I think there's, uh, so I, I'm kind of being on the inside. Um, I guess a lot of this stuff is kind of clear for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I will take your, uh, a suggestion that there's not a lot of clarity on what uh, differentiates something like Stello from other blockchains. And to sort of help clarify that a bit, um, I think, um, and, and sort of also diving into a bit of why I joined Stello in the first place, um, is that uh, when sort of stemming from uh, Bitcoin, um, one of the main things that people used Bitcoin for originally was to transfer value across borders because of relatively how quickly that could be done. Mm-hmm. And one of the main issues with that was the fact that Bitcoin is very volatile. So if you wanted to send someone $100, um, on the other end, by the time you, the other party received it, they would receive some value that was different from $100 worth of Bitcoin. And to add to that, the fees was rising because of increased usage. So you're really not getting the the expected benefit of being able to send money across borders for cheap. Um, and I think that's one thing that uh, St- Stellar has solved very well because um, it, it's kind of also similar to colored tokens on Bitcoin where you can essentially have uh, tokens on Stellar that are specifically pegged to um, currencies like dollars, euros, pounds, or even crypto assets, or maybe even native ICO tokens or any other tokens one might imagine. Um, And these tokens are essentially first-class citizens on the network, and their value is derived from what someone who issues the tokens suggests the value is. And then the market sort of places their own interpreted value on these tokens, taking into account counterparty risk and any other factors. But essentially, if I send you one uh, dollar token on the network, um, you can be pretty much guaranteed that you are getting something that is very close to a dollar. And this is done through like, the way I understand it, uh, this is that's the main that's basically the main case for using something like Stellar is that it allows for um, transferring any asset uh, in in a decentralized network, correct? basically like any value asset you can peg like you just said any particular denomination or or, or or token i guess you will to whatever you want and transfer that across the network um what's, it, what's interesting about that is that like who is validating these transactions and guaranteeing that type of thing because the, the way that uh, the consensus works inside of stellar it's very different than proof of work or a, a you know, different types of proof of stake it's more of a I guess, PBFT type uh, consensus mechanism. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So the uh, Stellar Consensus Protocol was developed by Professor Mazieres from Stanford. And uh, it takes a very uh, novel approach to consensus, uh, particularly in the blockchain world. Um, So it's more specifically uh, Federated Byzantine Agreement, um, which is very similar to PBFT. Um, and I think uh, one, one uh, way in which I like to describe it is it's um, a 
So, so it's a transitive closure of trust across different nodes. So for example, um, if I as a node trust you, Corey, and you trust Colin, by the transitive property, I also trust Colin. And that has to be taken into account when you sort of compute consensus, because whatever decision that you make on whatever it is that we're deciding, um, that is dependent on what Colin decides. So I, as an individual, have to also consider that. So the network as a whole computes this transitive closure, and that's what forms the actual network. And one way in which I like to think about this is the stellar consensus protocol is kind of like the digital representation of human trust. Now, at the end of the day, we cannot live in a, or rather if we have a trust, trustless assumption, then that leads to a lot of inefficiencies because we are calculating um, the outcome of something that, like if I trust you and you give me a dollar, I know that I've got this dollar, it's a real dollar, all of that stuff. But if, if I run complex calculations to verify that you've actually given me a dollar when I trust you, that's kind of wasted to some degree. But if some untrusted party gives me a dollar, I might want to verify, okay, what are the source of the funds? Is this valid? All of that stuff. Um, and I think that the stellar consensus protocol does a very good job of sort of um, maintaining the concept of trust where it's necessary and then doing the computations of verification where it is needed most. And that's what allows the stellar consensus protocol to be very efficient and reach the uh, uh, transaction throughput that it has today uh, of a thousand operations per second, as well as a three to five second ledger close time. How do you- So that sounds neat, no, but like when you say that, it, it, it immediately evokes like when you say it's it's a mod, it's like a, a modeled version of, of human trust, uh, it, it it almost it, so I've had friends betray my trust before. You know, I've had Byzantine friends. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. what 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 do you do if like there's got to be some sort of reputation system built into the into this into the network as well, right? And not only that, but like, how do you like redeem yourself if there's like an accident, like which. It, it, between trust like the non-trusted thing is actually funnily enough the part that i believe the best like the easiest part the part where you doubt everybody and maybe that's just part of my personality i feel like yeah you can prove that as yeah, we already know how that works right but like when i hear this whole trusted nodes that set up i'm like okay uh you know you got to be able to kick people out of the network who are bad so does this just set up basically like what is similar to like the click network on ethereum it's a proof of authority kind of system between trusted nodes and, and allow people to create these sort of like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It begins with a C, Corey. Um, I don't know. These these collections, no, these cabals, no, these, um, uh, uh, just call consortiums. them Consortiums. Consortiums, that's the word. Consortiums. One of those C words. <laughs> inside of Stellar, um, which enables, you know, that kind of trust mechanism to occur. And then, you know, is that how that works? Am I understanding it? better that way does that make sense in yeah, short so, so i think um how does it deal with PBF or, how does it deal with byzantine ramble. behavior i, I think that was the question colin was trying to get to yeah like how does it deal with that shit well not just business so there's two cases here that's the thing that i get i think i get the untrusted case like 
I think I, I have an idea like where you're going with that, and you could get into that more detail if I, you know, I, obviously. But what I what I'm really curious about is the trusted case. Like, how do you handle Byzantine behavior in a trusted scenario? Yeah, so uh, so you obviously have the uh, you have to design. So we in, in the seller consensus protocol, you have quorum sets. So each node basically defines who they trust, and you need to trust. Uh, three F plus one nodes, where F is the number of Byzantine nodes that you're willing to accept, which can include like malicious nodes as well as just network failures or whatever else. And um, so, so you can tolerate that amount of lying, if you will. And in the event where you have more than such failures, your node would likely end up giving a uh, bad result which would then in turn mark you as an untrusted node. But for someone who is a um, vigilant uh, supporter of the network, they would then recognize these issues and then change who they trust, right? So who you trust is a very active and um, evolving aspect of the network. And if you find someone that you trust is constantly lying, maybe they've been hacked or whatever else, um, you would want to, for your own reputation's sake, in that sense, um, adjust who you trust so your node is not misbehaving. And um, what does it take to become a node to do this type of thing? And then what do you learn um, for proper behavior on the network for validating transactions? Yeah, so um, so in terms of setting up a node, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. You would just download the software, run it, choose the anyone can do set. This. Anyone can do this. We even have Docker images that make it very easy to set up a node. Um, and I think, um, sorry, oh, could you repeat the second question? Yeah, what, what, do you, what do you earn? What's the point of, of becoming a validator on the network? Um, is there like, what, why would I want to participate in the network with other like proof of work systems, as we're particularly referring to uh, mining in this instance for proof of work, you're, it's a, it's a selfless, I mean, it's not a selfless act. It's a selfish act. I'm participating in validating mm -hmm. the transactions so that I can earn the transaction fees and the mining reward of this thing. That's the reason why I do it. Most miners don't actually give a shit about most of the stuff they're doing. They're just trying to make money. Is that the same case for participating in the validation network in Stellar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Stellar, um, does not have any mining there are no rewards for running a node other than the fact that you get reliable access to the network. So what we are trying to build is a uh, in, is the internet of payments. And by running a node, you are getting access to um, the network as well as supporting the network in growing. So essentially, um, so, so the benefits of being a part of the network are that you get to decide who you trust and all of that stuff. Um, now, if you just want to be a, let's just call it a consumer of the Stellar network, you would end up routing all of your transactions through just one entity, right? So in some sense, you are making a claim that I trust this one entity 100%. Yeah. But that may not be the actual representation of your own innate trust. So if you actually wanted, if you are running a big business that is support, that is uh, making use of the Stellar network, you have a business incentive to run a node 
so that you can make sure that you are not duped by someone who you are handing off all of this trust to. And that ensures that all of your financial transactions are being routed correctly and your business is secure. Because at the end of the day, when things go wrong, you want to make sure that you have a um, well set up payment environment because at the end of the day, we are dealing with real money. Yeah, but my, my question was like, it's, it's, a, it's a traditional consensus traditional it's it's similar to a traditional distributed consensus mechanism and those are limited to maybe a little over a hundred validators how are you how are you dealing with that like who's who's doing the validating and how are you getting either are you getting past that are you do you have a subset of people that um are only participate in the actual validation of transactions is it is the whole network not agreeing on the same state only the people who are operating with a particular transaction is that where like maybe that's the question What's the data structure people are agreeing upon? What are people actually um, coming to consensus about within the network? Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. So essentially, um, the the each ledger is a state, and the movement from one ledger to the next is a an application of transactions on that state. Okay, you said each ledger. That's, in... that's that's a that's one I think fundamental difference that Stellar has that other blockchain networks do not. There are multiple ledgers that are passed around. There's not a single canonical ledger that you're adding state to, correct? Uh, so, so, so I think the, um, the, the ledger is the current state yeah. of the network. Okay. And w when I say moving from one ledger to the next, what I specifically refer to is the set of transactions that affect the change of the state of the blockchain okay. of the stellar blockchain okay and that results in say ledger n plus one and essentially what all of those nodes are agreeing on is number one what is the uh set of transactions that we are including in this ledger as well as um the order of these transactions and um, the validity of these transactions. And then eventually when that agreement is reached, uh, then a lot of the, then those transactions are applied with the guarantee that that will, the application of those transactions is going to result in the same state, given that state N was the same, you will always end up in the same state N plus one. Okay. So you're, uh, you, everyone is carrying around the same state, if you will, like network state. Of Stellar, and mm -hmm. the, I, I submit a transaction that I say I'm doing one thing that changes the network state. Everyone agrees upon that, and then moves forward. So there is one exactly. canonical ledger. It's just maybe not um, put together the same way that my mental model of of a blockchain looks. Can you talk about what the blockchain actually looks like in terms of like its structure? Uh, is it a blockchain? Is actually a, a question is it do you consider this more in the dlt space or the blockchain space um so definitely more in, as a disputed ledger um but it's so i think one thing that's uh, very interesting about stellar's blockchain is that given that you verified the chain up until ledger n you don't really need to keep uh, any history before that because unless you care about historical transactions because you're guaranteed that um, the state is correct up until ledger n and essentially that's really 
all that matters is what are what is the value of each of these accounts and all the orders on the order book and things like that. Um, although we do make that accessible through other means outside of the blockchain, or rather, I, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, so I think that like there's definitely a lot of concepts out here, and I guess an important point to bring up right now would be that um, Stellar Core, which is essentially what I would call as a node, is what's is written in C++, and that's what handles the consensus of um, each of these nodes. Uh, it's highly optimized for disputed computing and not so much for getting data out of the network. It just essentially closes ledgers, yeah, right? That's most of like the, um, the, the noted for structure these days. It's not optimized for like reading as in like a, a database, like database reads. It's just for doing its job and moving on. <laughs> exactly. And um, we then have Horizon, which is a web server that presents developer-friendly APIs, all of that stuff to get data out of the network, which also then communicates with history archives that Stellar Core might put out. Okay, that makes sense. And so that's, that's is that kind of where your business model, by the way, revolves around? The fact that you have these kind of services that you can provide on top of the Lumen, the Lumen coin and the Stellar network that would enable uh, people who need that audit trail or that, that ability to, to see where information has gone uh, historically uh, is provided? Or are you purely a coin-based like, uh, 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 business model? So I think like in terms of the business model, so the Stellar Development Foundation is a nonprofit and a big part of what we are trying to do is to provide these services for free to the world because we believe that it's it's uh, making payment systems better and a, a lot of these services anyone can build and use and a lot of people in the community are providing additional services on top of these for free to the community as well. So I think Stellar is really going through a phase of trying to figure out what all of these services are that people want to use. And um, a lot of developers that are new to Stellar come in and sort of find these opportunities and try to carve out their own niche in the ecosystem. That makes sense. So I, I guess I guess the, the, um, the, the real question I have is like, if you're a nonprofit, nonprofits still need some way of, of, you know, revenue generation. Is this purely mm -hmm. donation based or is this like, like you're not taking any fees on any of this? Is that correct? No, like, that's that's you... kind of where I wanted to go on that next question is that mm -hmm. what, what's the point of the Stellar Lumen? Um, when you have a proof of work system, the, 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 you that proof of work system automatically gives you the inflation rate and the distribution rate of new tokens entering the system. Um, and you understand how what the how people make money doing validation through providing that proof of work, uh, and so that that's all kind of like relatively known in terms of the incentive model of the people doing the validation. From stake systems, you stake you stake money up front and then earn rewards based on doing the validation work. So you basically earn interest on your stake by doing the validation work and transaction fees in some cases. Uh, and I know that there is a transaction fee, a relatively small, a very small one for Stellar Lumens. Where does that money go? And what is the point of Stellar Lumens in general? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's a, a great question. So um, when you submit transactions to the network, you are paying a small fees and of small fees is necessary to prevent people spamming the network. Yeah. And that fees is then collected in uh, a fee pool, which is then disputed on a weekly basis. Um, so you can expect anyone who is, I, I guess anyone who's using the network needs lumens to conduct these transactions, but it's not being wasted away by someone taking a big piece of that. It's being disputed back to the Stellar network itself. So it's still within that ecosystem. And the whole idea is that you're not just creating a lot of these transactions that may or may not be meaningful. And if you were to do that, you would then be paying a fees for that. I was, would you is say distributed? The other, yeah, yeah you say distributed back to the network. Who and, and, and how? Yes. So you can, so each account holder votes on whom they want the fees to go to. And there's this concept of inflation, uh, which also is how new coins are created, um, which also is subjected to this vote, which then determines who gets these payments. So one very popular uh, way to sort of vote for these, uh, uh, these accounts of who gets the lumens is through inflation pools. And um, there's one particular, uh, particularly popular inflation pool called the Luminots inflation pool, which essentially uh, computes how many votes it gets and then redistribute those, redistributes those lumens back to the voters. So you're essentially getting, um, the fees are essentially getting distributed proportionally back to the network on whoever is voting for this pool or any other way of sort of voting for a beneficiary. So it's kind of like the people who are doing the governance are the ones that are benefiting from um, the network fees, or at least like um, their, 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 their weight in voting is swaying where that money goes as well as inflation. Uh, well, but I think it's in some sense, it's, I would like to put it as each man for himself, because if I have like a thousand lumens, I would get an equivalent proportion of a thousand lumens worth of votes compared to the total vote voting, uh, sort of all the votes. Mm -hmm. And because a thousand lumens might be less compared to the total lumens in existence, or at least ones that are voting, I would get a smaller proportion of the full payment, which includes fees as well as inflation. So in some sense, uh, theoretically, I haven't done the calculations, I can expect at least an inflation 1% of my lumens on a yearly basis for any account that I hold. Is that go is that governance done on chain? Like this voting, is that all done on chain or is that done out of band of, of the seller network? Yeah, so that, that voting is done on chain when the voting operation is invoked. So you essentially set who you're voting for on your account. So there's no, it's not like you are, um, actively casting a vote when there's a voting round called or something like that you just set it and by default it's it votes for you to get, it votes your account to make payments to this other account which might be your own and 
that is taken into account and considered for all the accounts when inflation is calculated. But I would like to point out that uh, inflation is an active topic in the community right now. And we are thinking of what, in which direction we want to take inflation. So that's something that is not fully resolved yet. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still kind of up in the air. All right. So walk me through what I would be doing. Like, say I wanted to like, I wanted to participate. Um, I buy a bunch of lumens. I, and I, and I run a node and I just, and it just sits there. What can I expect to happen? I, I mean, I, I set, I set kind of, I preset where I want my tokens to vote on certain issues. And then I just let it sit there. What can I expect to happen? Is that, is nothing going to happen? Am I going to earn interest on um, that node and the, I guess, amount of lumens that are voting on various issues? Like what, what happens there? Yeah. So essentially if, you would need to have a use case for the Stellar network in order to sort of give you a good justification to set up a node. Mm -hmm. So there's no so reason to just you, sit on tokens really in Stellar. Um, so, so you can use tokens for various different things. So for example, Stellar has a decentralized exchange. So you could use the lumens to pay for fees to do trading and essentially the cost of trading is near free because the cost of transactions on Stellar are very cheap. So if you compare that to trading on centralized exchanges where you might be paying um, like 0 0.1, 0 0.15 if you have a new account and you don't have sort of reduced fee tiers, um, you could be paying a fairly significant fees for uh, each trade that you make. Whereas on the Stellar network, your fees is like very, very cheap. So you can have Theoretically, it's, you know, spreads and you can have uh, essentially more, uh, I guess, finer grain prices. And that's one thing that you could do on the network. You could also use, so we have, uh, for example, there's this one app called Pigsby, which is an, a children's education app that uses uh, Stello. So you could sort of use applications like that. Um, and we the list of applications on Stellar are growing and essentially by holding and using Lumens, you're sort of participating in this whole ecosystem of apps that are trying to provide applications for a cheaper sort of payment mechanism where fees are less. So if another example might be that if you want to make a, so we have this one, uh, company that did an ICO, I think in 2018, buy game tokens to play games, right? So if I wanted to do that and use my credit card, so yeah, if someone's paying 3% of fees on their credit card, that money is being taken out of the system. Uh, whereas if those payments are being made over Stellar, then that money remains in the system because the fees are significantly lower. And that's another way in which you could use Lumens and um, yeah, and, 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 and high uh, lumens, which means in, in essence, you're still paying that 3% fee if you use a credit card to buy lumens, right? How's that not um, like, it's not like I could walk up someplace and with cash in hand, which by the way, I probably got from an ATM, which cost me $2 anyway, and buy, <laughs> and buy, and buy, uh, and buy lumens like from, like from a convenience store, like what is, well, it, it, you're not really bypassing the fees that the financial institutions have currently in, implemented here. Is that like, am I mistaken in that? Like, so, so I think 
So, so for example, you can always use uh, something like Gemini, go from uh, dollars to USDC, and then from there go directly to Lumen. So the only cost that you're really paying is the spread to acquire the Lumens on maybe a centralized exchange. So you're, you are, because you're using your bank account, you're bypassing the fees, you're, you're waiting the seven days, whatever, however long it takes. Um, but essentially now you have this uh, chunk of Lumens and for every transaction, you're not incurring that fees. Fair right. enough. Fair enough. So, and then, yeah, from once you're in, you're in. That's across. Yeah. That's across exactly. the board with all blockchain systems. But like, yeah, I want to. Like, I kind of want to go through the the life cycle of actually having someone do a cross border payment. Because um, like the the idea of enabling cross border payments is to like serve the underserved or or make the traditional. That's that's a good question. Um, is your is your goal your target market to serve the underserved or to make the traditional system just much more efficient? Because like we just said, once you're in the system, it's quite efficient. But getting to the system, you're still interacting with a lot of the traditional infrastructure, what has the same fee structures and and pin pain points. How do we Union how, scared? How, like how do we make it? How do we make it cheap from you know some guy in the middle of nowhere to some other guy in the middle of nowhere in a different country um, without having to go through the same rigmarole and, and time problems of um, the traditional banking system. If, if it, if, if those on-ramps are always slow, how does Stellar fix that? Yeah. So, um, so I think I, I would say that both approaches are definitely on the table. So now let's talk about the case of serving the underserved. Um, so that's definitely, uh, financial inclusion is a big part of Stellar's mission. Uh, it's it's what drew me to Stellar, and with I think that through blockchain, finance is being revolutionized, where a lot of people that don't have bank accounts are now using wallets, right? And Stellar has a few of these wallets that people can use. A lot of which even have support for uh, like smartphones, and in underserved countries where smartphones are quite prevalent, Android phones, for example, um, you could just download one of these applications. So for example, uh, one of the more popular ones that I would personally, uh, that, I, that I've used uh, is the Keybase wallet. So uh, Seller has a partnership with them and someone in a developing country could download this wallet and then request someone else for money or having acquired money or lumens or, or dollars or, or the local currency on the Stellar network make such payments. And that enables them to transact very quickly without having to go to their bank account, which they may or may not even have. And that's something that I think as um, people start to use more of Stellar, especially in developing countries, they would start to take advantage of that. Um, and I think coming to the other use case of revolutionizing the way things are done in sort of maybe like uh, larger institutional approaches, Stellar can be very useful for um, remitting money where because one might hold uh, stablecoin backed assets, you would not need to settle funds on a day-to-day -day basis, you could sort of settle them on a monthly or maybe even longer basis. And 
just by holding these tokens from trusted entities, you are pretty much guaranteed that you will get that maybe let's call it a physical good worth of money um, at a later point in time. And if you are in the money remittance business and your model is such that things are netting out, you can be very smart about how and when you settle funds with the idea that every single transaction that you're making is a lot cheaper than it would be in the traditional way of doing things. So, so, so reiterating, I think both the options are on the table. And I think for me personally, I believe that it's only a matter of time before um, people who can get value out of these systems learn about them and are able to find the value that something like the Stellar blockchain provides. So the required infrastructure for getting into the system is a lot lower um, than what you would call traditional finance. So that way, like getting into the system and, and starting to conduct yourself within the system for a long period of time is easier than saying like waiting for people to set up a bank and then serve you in your in your underserved area. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, then how does that how does that then butt against like? Because I would I would say a good portion of the blockchain networks are trying to do that same thing, and if they're not compatible, then you're going to have an issue with who gets to do that first. Who's how do you reach those people? and have them use the Stellar network versus the Ethereum or Bitcoin or something else that's, I would say, trying to do a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, so I think, um, so, so just sort of comparing Ethereum. So Ethereum is, it's not a payment network, right? So there's certain things that, that Stellar is better for and there's certain things that Ethereum is better for compared to Stellar. So I think a big part of that is finding that right use case. So if you want to use Ethereum as a payments network, you're going to be paying that, that higher fees for disputed computation that can be avoided by using the Stellar network. But if you are trying to do something that requires on-chain disputed computing, Stellar may not be the right choice for that. So now, now when I say that, I would like to point out that Stellar has its own version of smart contracts that is very different from Ethereum smart contracts, and they serve a very different purpose. But aside from that, Stellar does not have a Turing complete language, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that you cannot do on Stellar that you can do on Ethereum. So I would say that if you are trying to achieve cross-border payments, you should consider your options. And on one hand, you do have Stellar that is built expressly for cross-border payments, um, which affords you a lot of native uh, tools such as issuing custom assets on the network where an asset is a first-class citizen as opposed to an Ethereum where you might have to write your own smart contract and those contracts need to be audited. They could have bugs, all of that stuff. So then, then Ethereum, is a, of, Ethereum is a Ethereum is a, is a poor comparison. Then I can, let's, let's go with like say Bitcoin or Ripple, which are two 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 networks that are especially trying to make a global money thing. Yeah. So I think so for Bitcoin, for example, it's it's Bitcoin, right? Like it's one token, and and it also i think you are also in some sense then we're bringing in consensus algorithms over there because um bitcoin is expensive to use right so yes right now that's the case <laughs> right, right and, now exactly. as well as right. like building things like colored coins and the initial um implementations of 
things like colored coins on top of Bitcoin are also ex like prohibitively expensive. Exactly. And I think a big part of um, the way Stellar was designed was ex expressly trying to fix a lot of those issues in a design that treats these colored coins or these tokens as first class citizens. So is that what the smart it, contracts in and Stellar are for is 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 pegging those tokens or creating things like what would be like the equivalent of colored coins on on Stellar? Well, my understanding from what you said earlier in the conversation is that you are trying to peg to actual currency. This is not a payment system where you can walk up to a convenience store and pay things for, but it's something you can kind of redeem and and, it, and get your money back. Is that correct? Like, it doesn't help oh, so, people so, to have Lumen and, and buy a pack of gum. You know what I mean? You, oh, it does. It certainly does. Like, you can um, use it so, as. So I, I, I will touch upon that as well. Um, so first, I would like to address Corey's question of. Um, What is the question? Um, I forgot to. Well, he's, he's talking about Bitcoin. He's talking. He's talking about Bitcoin and color coins and like how. Oh, the smart kind of, contract yes. language, yeah. This, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so smart contracts. So, if you want to create tokens on Stellar, you don't need to create smart contracts in the traditional sense of Ethereum. Nor do you need to create smart contracts in the terms of Stellar. You literally just issue an API call to the Stellar network and you get these tokens created, right? You submit a transaction, speaking more technically, you submit a transaction that has the effect of creating these tokens, right? Now, so it's, 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 so what, what I wanna, wanna point out, out here is that the creation of new tokens is very, very native to Stellar, such that it, it's very cheap to do, and from an API perspective, it's also very easy to do. And how you peg this value, this token to whatever value you, you sort of place on it um, is by making the markets for that token against other assets. So maybe against some dollar tokens or Euro tokens and, and also maybe the native Lumen on the network. That is kind of what is, allows you as an issuer to ensure that the value of this token is what you say it is. And essentially, um, if I'm creating a token and I'm calling it the uh, Euro token, um, as an asset issuer, I'm promising anyone who comes with this token to me, like on the network and gives it to me, I will give them a Euro in their bank account. And conversely, if they give me a Euro in their bank account, I will give them a Euro on the network, right? So I'm essentially the, the translator of this digital token to the phys physical world. And Anyone can do this for any asset, but in my case, if I do it, it's backed by me, right? Which is very similar to how money works in the world. Um, but now coming into uh, Colin's question of, well, is are these tokens only used to convert from physical to digital and back? Um, I think if you wanted to buy a pack of gum at the convenience store, you could very easily, um, well, and it's a question of, well, uh, is the convenience store on the Stellar network, right? In the same way that a lot of people accept Bitcoin for payment, does this convenience store accept lumens or digital uh, dollars on mm -hmm. the Stellar network, all of that? 
Um, that's one uh, question. Of course, if they do, then you can just make a payment by making a payment to their account. Uh, if they don't, um, I think there's definitely a very, very good business opportunity here that a lot of people in the community are sort of thinking about is can, can new businesses bridge this gap by being the intermediary where they receive the digital tokens, lumens, dollars, euros, whatever else, and then make that payment to the convenience store, um, either through their bank accounts, credit cards, whatever else. And I think this also brings up one, one of my favorite features of Stellar, which I think is extremely underrated, is the concept of path payments. So if I wanted, if I, being based out of the US, only hold dollars, and I want to travel to Europe and pay a convenience store to buy a pack of gum in Europe, um, I can pay in dollars and have the convenience store receive in euros and the network itself will perform the conversion of dollars to euros at a, at a rate that is equal to or better than what I request. So I, I don't have to go to a money exchange and pay a fees and then a spread and all of that stuff. And given that Stellar's decentralized exchange is very cheap to use, over time, the rates would be, in theory, the most accurate with the smallest spreads. So essentially, um, a lot of the fees that is being consumed by the middleman in traditional finance is going to go away by people using the Stellar network with people getting access to what could be considered to be the most accurate rates, given that this is a completely open system. Assuming that it has use and liquidity. Because like like you said, like people have to then people have to put these assets on the network and back them themselves. If that's not being done, then the centralized exchange exists, but no one's using it and you have bad market prices. Uh, yeah, so that's a that's a great point. So I think that's one of the issues that is faced by pretty much a lot of exchanges when they first come up. And a lot of the exchanges that are popular today have obviously taken a big leap in solving that problem, the liquidity problem. Um, in fact, we wrote a blog post about this only last month, describing how exchanges have this liquidity problem, what it is. And to the point of people putting out these currencies that can be used. So for example, recently, uh, YRX announced that they are putting 26 stable coins on the Stellar network. And I think with that comes the idea that they're going to support their own tokens in the best way that they can. And that over time means increased liquidity usage markets between a lot of these tokens. And I think it's really a chicken and egg problem, kind of like how you described. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this because it's, it's very like the way this is set up and potentially useful is very different than how um, digital scarcity works in a lot of other networks. Like that, the digital scarcity of Bitcoin is Bitcoin, and that's what that that's what holds value. And so the transfer of Bitcoin is the transfer of the value Bitcoin and nothing else. Um, and then you can use maybe the security of the network to do other things. Ethereum is a very different thing, and that it's a it's a kind of trustless decentralized computing model in which you can build smart contracts that then create digital scarcities within the network itself. What Stellar seems to be trying to do is allow people to introduce an asset natively that they that they have and then allow the distribution of that asset 
to to then be uh, to be put on the network. I can then transfer the ownership of that asset, whatever it is, throughout the network through an exchange. And so what the what the network is providing is just the mechanism for transfer of ownership, mm-hmm. not the actual yeah, asset that's itself. I work at Ava, I support that model. So, so that's great. Uh, but yeah. like I, I I wonder like um that requires a lot of trust and people to put assets on the network and then back them. Um, so you need to trust each individual person who's putting these things on and that they have the asset and not just saying it, uh, which requires, I guess, maybe some institutionalization, um, which I'm not saying mm-hmm. is bad, just that you feel like you're, you need to have people that you can trust that then if I, if I buy something in the decentralized, decentralized network, I want to make sure I can redeem that value. And if there's no... Mm-hmm trustless decentralized model of where that value comes from that I'm trusting a bunch of individual people or institutions to do that. Is that, am I, am I getting this model a kind of correct in terms of how things kind of work? Yes, I, I think you are. And so, so the, I think the, the, the way I would like to describe this is now this is obviously like a very, very long term play mm-hmm. right like if you go back to sort of the evolution of finance and all of that stuff um just sort of not looking too far back just you know um i think that going from things from like you know um people using like uh like agricultural products to sort of represent value then to silver then to notes then to sort of innovations in uh, money representation, like notes, better quality notes, holograms, all of that stuff, uh, to sort of bank conglomerates, all of that. To now uh, the blockchain, um, it, it really is in a step up in technology in how money is captured and represented. And I think the way I would like to, the way that I think about what Stella is trying to do is we're really trying to capitalize on the blockchain technology itself to specifically represent value and make it very, very easy and seamless to transform, right? So we're, we're, in, we're doubling down on the financial aspect of blockchain, right? And I think personally, I think that the, the solution itself is very novel and by fixing a lot of the inefficiencies in money transfer that existed in Bitcoin, um, you can, you, you still need the players in finance, the banks, the institutions, the, the users, the people, everyone to buy into the idea of blockchain and money representation on the blockchain. But I hope it happens. And if, and when that does happen, Essentially, what we've ended up with is a system that is way more efficient to work with, um, with a lot of the other human side of the dynamics staying the same. And tomorrow, if I don't trust Scam Bank to hold my money, I am not going to hold their digital tokens on the network. That's not going to change, right? I don't think blockchain can fix that because at the end of the day, if, if I'm... If someone's going to cheat me, they're going to cheat me, 
right? That's the whole idea of like a. That's the whole idea of like Bitcoin both being a payments network and and a token on that network. The value of Bitcoin is the fact that you can't get it anywhere else, and it's not backed by anyone. Um, Whereas the seller seems to be doubling down on the network side, and not so much the value of the token within the network. Yeah, so I think there's there's definitely more. I, I don't specifically want, want to talk about the value of the token. I like to stay away from that. I'm more topic. I'm more referencing the trust model of the token itself, right? The digital scarcity isn't isn't created by any one person in Bitcoin, at least. Um, the the digital scarcity Bitcoin is created by the network itself, and so there's no reason to trust someone to make sure that it, like there's liquidity or or it's 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 good. Or that it, it can be it's it's a part it's an, it's an intrinsic part of the network, whereas Wait, assets within Stellar. Answer that question, like how are coins produced? Like, like is it just through the interest, part of the or, is it, of or is it part? Of, or is it pre-minted? Like, is like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So so they're definitely so the the lumens themselves are pre-minted with some tokens being created on a weekly slash annual basis at a pre-specified rate. Um, and those are distributed with the voting mechanism you mentioned earlier, correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay, so this is and... essentially, from a scarcity standpoint, the protocol only accepts certain amount of coins every, like you as as somebody who is a, you know, as a uh, yeah, chief software engineer in, at Stellar, can't just randomly get a bug up your ass, stick something in, in the code that allows you to sort of like print coins, correct? The protocol- Oh, exactly, allow. exactly. Yeah, yeah so- yeah. Okay, so we can we can we could at least believe that much, right? So yeah, from a digital scarcity standpoint, it's very similar to mm-hmm. how Ethereum, any proof of work system, or any you know concept of proof of stake, as it may potentially be, um, kind of kind of works. Is is that an accurate statement? Yes. Does uh, that I answer think... your question, Corey? Though, because no, me, because the majority like... of the the majority of the value that's being transferred on Stellar is not intrinsic to the system. It is something ah, that you're pegging. Yeah. It's something that you're but, trusting someone to uh, to to present to the network that then gets, that then its transfer and movement around the network is facilitated by the Stellar network, not the actual value that you're moving. The, 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 it seems as though the benefit of the Stellar network is to bring value to the network Create its digital representation and then trade that within the network. Not, so here, here, not have something thing. intrinsic to the system like other blockchain networks, right? So, so you do have so the, the lumen itself is intrinsic to the system, mm-hmm. but right? I, but that's not and like if you what people are pegging value to. Well, well, so there's definitely some value ascribed to the lumen. Mm-hmm. So, say for example, if I have so. So, so coming to the uh, path payment concept that I mentioned earlier, you can go, so, so if you wanted to go from dollars to euros, you could go from direct dollars to euros, or you could go from dollars to pounds to euros, or dollars to lumens to pounds to euros. And that would effectively get you the best rate. But if you want to do that, in the case of dollars to, to lumens to pounds to euros, there needs to be enough pounds and lumens on the network to hold the value that you want to send. And speaking specifically about uh, any of these assets, say pounds, there needs to be that issuer 
that is willing to put out, if I want to do a million dollar transaction, there needs to be that issuer that is willing to put out a million dollars worth of liquidity on the network so I can then complete that million dollar transfer. Exactly. And you nailed it. That million dollars. You nailed what I just said. Sorry? You, you nailed what I've been trying to get mm -hmm. to. Someone has to put up those things. Um, and I have to trust that they're doing that well in order for me to facilitate those 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 like translations from one thing to another to another. That's not a part of the network. That's a part of people bringing value to the network. Yes, but now, now you don't need to trust them specifically because when you do this path payment, you are never at the risk of holding one of these intermediate assets. So it's completely atomic. And if it's not pounds, then it might be someone else putting euros or any other currency on there. Um, but I think that itself is the chicken and egg problem, mm -hmm. right? Now, now, Stellar by itself is the technology that allows you to do all of these really cool things. And it's up for people to sort of firstly be aware of what Stellar can do for you and realize that it can reduce costs in their business and increase the reach that they have with other partners, banks, all of that. And then that's hopefully along with other reasons is going to be convincing enough for them to then, as you said, bring value onto the network. And so, I really like what you said there. And I think, all right, so Corey, I, I get where you're coming from in that there's like this idealized system we have where everything is a digitalized asset and everything can be valued in some digital currency, but we still also exist in the real world. And there are systems which currently, like our current system functions all right. Like it's not the best it can be anymore. It used to we have global was. finance, let's put it that way. So yeah, it does we something. We have global finance, right. <laughs> so like there are ways you can litigate, you know, if somebody's not mm -hmm. doing their job correctly, you know? There are ways that you can hit their lumen reputation by for, by creating this like like litigation system. Like you can actually there there are ways you can hook the real world into a system closer to Stellar than Bitcoin, um, because there is probably also this element of KYC if you're dumping a bunch of money in there. Like you can't mm -hmm. just. Yep. back a million dollars in without saying yeah i can't I'm, i can't say hey i have uh i'm representing a million dollars now i started a node yeah. i put a million dollars onto the yeah, network no. and you're trust responsible me. <laughs> there is a litigation process available to you if you're using a system like like stellar it is more real in that it's not it's and i'm not saying that bitcoin isn't real i just think it's like another asset you could list on a network similar to lumens uh, similar to Stellar. Uh, however, I would say that that one of the things that kind of early still bothers me about this, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to like, the, the episode's getting a little long. We have to kind of like wrap up, but there's one thing I really want to touch on. I hope I answered your, your question or kind of pointed on, on some of the concerns you had there, Corey. Yeah. Um, but like um, by marrying the real world and stuff, you have to also take in real world usage considerations and the transactional throughput at a thousand TPS is not meeting Visa standards. Um, how do you plan on fixing that problem? Because Visa could get up to 55,000 transactions per second on their stress test, right? Mm -hmm. um, real world use case, Black Friday, worst case scenario, everybody's buying stuff through Visa. They could get up to uh, 5,000. Um, you're currently supporting mm -hmm. 1,000 1, TPS. What is your plan to increase the throughput globally? Yeah, so, so there's... 
there's definitely a lot of work being done to scale the network. And I think that involves improving the blockchain, the Stellar blockchain itself, like Stellar Core specifically, um, but also layer two solutions like um, Lightning Networks on Stellar, which we've in our, in our in the Stellar ecosystem that's Starlight. Um, and essentially you, you get all of the benefits of uh, uh, state channels through that, yeah, right? That makes sense. And essentially in, in, in the case of, you know, Black Friday sales, whatever else, say through Amazon, Walmart, whatever, each account might have direct channels with Amazon or through a third party or whatever else. And eventually a lot of that would get settled on the network at this constricted rate of a thousand transactions per second. So a lot of the business can still be conducted. I think that in general, um, the blockchain approach to payments is very different from the traditional um, sort of approach to payments. And we're going to have to sort of um, realize at which point we're providing value. And in the case of Visa, everything is going through, let's quote unquote, say layer one, right? right. There's no need for a layer two because it's centralized. Right. So the, the, the last question I have then is probably from a user experience standpoint, the most important, it sounds like, and that's finality. Um, mm -hmm. How quickly can you come to a decision on the network that something is locked in and absolutely correct and somebody can walk away with their Starbucks coffee after paying in lumens um, or dollar representation on, on the Stellar network, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, walk away with their Starbucks coffee. Am I going to have to sit there for a minute and wait for enough confirmations to actually say I got this coffee or is this something that, that you guys can uh, come to agreement on really quick? Yeah, so, so with Stella, you don't have the concept of confirmations. So it's really just a question of three to five seconds. Your ledger moves to the next uh, ledger number, next state, and either your transaction is included in that or not. Now, if you have a ledger that is overcrowded, your transaction may not get included for the next three to five ledgers. Um, and again, at, at that point, we are operating in a whole different world. And that's probably the point where you want to start thinking about using layer two solutions. Um, but in the typical case, when you're interacting directly with layer one, typically that would be three to five seconds. And um, yeah, you, you can, you, you then, once you get that confirmation, and Colin, that's a that's a that's a relic of not a relic, but that's a that's a consequence of the consensus mechanism being used. It, it provides finality. Mm -hmm. So because you, it provides finality, you don't have to deal with probabilistic finality that other like proof of work mm -hmm. chains use. There's no such thing as a yep. as a fork um, in terms of like to the network just make, making two decisions at the same time and then forking off and then coming back to the same one. So you have re like reorganizations. So that that doesn't exist in a, in a network like uh, Stellar, based on the way the network comes to consensus. The, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, PBFT I, I, provides I, I finality. I understand. Mm -hmm. I, I understand. But when you're talking on a global sense, and I mean, the potential for double spend still kind of exists, and uh, you know, right? And that's what you're trying to resolve. You know, there's still an ordering problem. I, I just, I'm not. I, I just wasn't sure of that. That's if that makes sense. So PBFT does provide finality, but like at the same time, you know, things can happen out of order, and then they kind of like if like the whole network doesn't see your transaction at once, it has to kind of hop 
through, from what I understand. Is that correct? You have trusted nodes who then they trust, who then they trust. And you could have an automatic payment go off from Adobe in California while you're visiting a place in Russia and make a payment at a coffee store in Russia, you know, three nodes out. Um, they, they'll say it looks good to me, but then that payment from Adobe conflicts and then suddenly you've got a double spend issue. Uh, that's what I thought was going on just because it's kind of a global thing, but I might be misunderstanding like the... So I think, so, so that's where the transitive closure of the network comes in because at the end of the day, all the nodes are voting on the set of transactions, which includes verifying and validating such potentially conflicting transactions. So you, you have the concept of quorum sets and quorum intersection and things like that, which goes into the details of uh, the stellar consensus protocol. But essentially, there would need to be one node that is knowledgeable about both the Adobe transaction as well as the, the coffee purchase to then say, hey, um, these two are conflicting. I don't allow this to be included in the transaction set. And therefore, you have to pick either one or the other. There's a couple of really cool um, kind of visual representations of how the, these, these closures work that I found online. Um, I'll try and find them and put them in the show notes, but I think we need to start uh, wrapping up. Is there is there any questions you wish we would have asked that we didn't? Um, so I, I would love to sort of talk about the, uh, the project that I do spend most of my time on. Uh, it's this project called Kelp, which is a market-making bot for the Stellar Network. And essentially, uh, it's completely open source, written in Go. Um, you can download it. You can run it. If you are issuing tokens, stable coins, whatever else on the Stellar Network, you can literally get this up and running and start offering um, bids and asks for your token and then create this liquidity. So anyone who's who's interested in doing uh, token issuances on the network, I would encourage you to take a look at this project and or find other resources to create this liquidity. But essentially what we try and do is we try and not only give you the ability to issue these tokens, but also the mechanism by which you can create this liquidity. So you really get up and running with whatever token you're trying to provide and, and allow for any use case that you have as an application on top of the Stellar network. What was it called again? Kelp, K-E-L-P. Oh, Kelp, okay. Yeah, I'll make sure I add oh. show notes to that. And and is that just an, like basically an open system? Anyone can participate in that and start doing that and then build on top yeah, of it? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you can build on top of it. It's extremely developer-friendly. It's very modular. Uh, and we have a lot of uh, improvements coming out for that as well. Towards By the end of this year, we have a UI coming out very soon. Um, and... Um, yeah, it's currently written in Golang, and and the the plan is that by the end of the year there will be a significantly more sophisticated strategy uh, developer experience where people can write strategies not just in Golang but also in Python, JavaScript, whatever language that you want. Um, and there's also support for trading on centralized exchanges. So in case you have your token listed on Stellar and also want to list it on centralized exchanges, you get the same experience for making markets or trading on centralized exchanges as you do on Stellar. Nice. And it's completely free. That helps with a lot of the like liquidity issues I think we were talking about earlier in terms of the chicken or the egg problem. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, where people where can people uh, contact you and learn more? Um, so yeah, I think the best place to contact me would be on Keybase. 
So Keybase also happens to be uh, one of Stellar's partners and has a Lumen wallet built in and a chat application. Um, and you can find me there, keybase.io slash Nikhil Saraf. Awesome. Thanks for coming cool. on. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I have a better understanding of Stellar and what it's trying to do and where it's going. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Corey and Colin. It was, it was great. Cool.